Welcome to the CFN Podcast. All right, guys, welcome to the CFN Podcast. This is your host, CJ Campbell, and today we have a special guest. His name is Mike Joyce. He is the current head strength and conditioning coach for the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. Mike, very good to have you. How are you doing, man? I'm good, CJ. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm glad you could uh, join us today for a little bit. We'll we'll get your insight on um, the, is it the minor leagues, the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Pens? It is the minor leagues, okay. yeah, technically it, the minor leagues, yeah. But it's called the American League, right? Yep, the American okay. Hockey League. All right, yep. I just wanted to make sure. But um, guys, Mike sent me a nice bio of him with his education, his employment. We'll ask him some questions about you know, what he's been through, where he's at now, how did he get there, things like that. So we'll start with the education. And Mike, you attended, I might pronounce this wrong, is it Luzerne County Community College? Yep. Um, yeah, Luzerne County. Okay, and you went there before transferring. Um, how important was actually going to community college in terms of saving money and starting your education, basically? Um, yeah, you know, I mean, it was uh, kind of like a circuitous route to community college, to be totally honest with you. So, um, you know, I graduated high school in 2008. Um, I went to the University of Scranton. Um, I was undeclared, but taking a lot of biology classes, I was pretty dead set on the health field. Um, but I left that school after a year. I wanted to kind of be with my friends, um, you know, where they went, where they went, and whatnot. So I left, um, and then eventually left that school. Also, I just, you know, wasn't happy with it. Um, Looking back on it, it was kind of like I wasn't really ready, you know, for formal education, higher education. Um, so I took, I took some time off, um, and then when I decided to go back, I decided, hey, you know, why don't I just try the community college, community college route, um, you know, just kind of get my foot in the door and just see how um, the exercise science realm fit me. Um you know, it's, uh, it took off. I enjoyed it. It never really felt like work at all. Uh, so I just kind of stuck with it. That's how I kind of feel because when I was in, I went to community college for a year before transferring from my bachelor's. And I mean, aside from saving money, taking that aspect out of it, uh, you kind of get a glimpse of what you would like to do with, you know, by paying a fourth of the price you would at uh, some other university, so you know it's easier for people to switch their major or change their mind. But uh, I was kind of like you when I did XI at the community college I was at. Um, it kind of assured that this is what I wanted to do in a health-related field, especially with exercise and stuff. And um, it really helped me, you know, kind of get the groundwork and basics done, so I can be ready to, you know, transfer. Is that kind of how you felt? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I never, I never really was the best student either. You know, so when I, when I found something that interested me, and I found something that, um, like, I kind of alluded to, like, it, it didn't feel like work. Yeah. Uh, to read an exercise science textbook, 
you yeah, know. Yeah, it, it kind of feels it was, like it was fun. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was fascinating, and especially at the community college level, things are so boiled down and very simple, and um, you know, just the fundamentals. So it was, it's cool to kind of take some of those fundamentals at, at the most basic level um, and then apply them. You know what I mean? That's that's kind of you know your first kind of you know maybe year or two in an exercise science program. Um, you might be introduced to some, you know, basic strength and conditioning terms, microcycle, muscle cycle, mm-hmm. uh, those kinds of things. So you could take some of these concepts and then go to the gym and kind of experiment with them and write your own programs and that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, for that, I'm, I'm very, very grateful for a community college where it was kind of a low-risk, high-reward yeah. uh, scenario. Yeah, and when I was – I didn't – I'll be honest with you, I never enjoyed – uh, team training at the gym when I was in high school because I always thought, you know, why I'm a pretty good hockey player, so why do I need to lift, right? And um, once I switched my vision from business marketing to exercise science and nutrition-based studies, um, I kind of did what you did. I would, I would literally read some chapters of my textbooks and be like, oh, well, now I understand, you know, why why this happens and how I can program this way and once I started applying stuff, not just in my own workouts, um, but I started doing like free internships once I got into college and during the summers and stuff like at gyms. Is that kind of what you did? Did you do any research or work anywhere while you were in community college in the fitness field? Uh, no, not while I was in uh, community college, I didn't um, actually. So I, I was just trying to get my foot, like my feet back underneath me. Um, I was still working. Uh, totally unrelated field. So when I had left college for the second time, left a bachelor's program for the second time, I worked some really, really bad jobs, some like just awful jobs. And I had one of those same jobs when I was at community college. Um, So, but it was a source of income. It was something that I needed, you know, the the community college was like maybe 40 minutes away, 35 minutes away. So I needed gas money, you know what I mean? So, um, it wasn't something that I pursued until I actually transferred to Marywood University, where I graduated from, uh, that I started to do more personal training and more internship-type activities and stuff, things along those lines. Yeah, I mean, it's you kind of have to do what you have to do. I've worked many crappy jobs, and I've done a lot of free work just to uh, get experience and stuff like that. And like you said, just paying for gas money or anything like that. So um, in terms of, I mean... What was college life when you trans? So did you live on campus when you transferred to what college was it? It was uh, Marywood University. Did you live uh, on campus? No, I didn't. I lived off campus. Um, so, uh, I mean, my my kind of life the second time around here in college was was probably much different than somebody coming just out of high school. Yeah. Um, you know, I had gotten the party days and the late nights out, you know, my first two or three uh, years and my first time around out of high school. Yeah. So when I went back, um, I was much older than, than all of the other students around me. <laughs> um, I lived I lived off campus. You know, I had my own circle of friends and, um, you know, colleagues and stuff, things along those lines. Yeah. Um, that was- so it, it was different. Yeah, and that's that was gonna be the uh, the second part of my question. You know, if if you did or didn't, when you have that group of friends, 
I was going to ask you, you know, in terms of studying for exercise science and nutrition-based uh, classes and then making time for friends and stuff like that, and you did say you got most of the partying out of you and stuff like that, so you were ready to focus yeah. and you weren't really, you know, with that anymore. But um, I remember when I was doing my bachelor's for XI, I had physics, anatomy, I think I had measurements and stats, something along those lines, all in one semester. You know, how did you balance everything as a student uh, between that and friends and, you know, any work you had to do? How did you kind of balance all that at the time? Well, you know, I think that, you know, you know, all work and no play makes Jack a no boy, right? So yeah. I, I think that, you know, you it's a... I think it's about organizing, like organizing your day, really. Mm-hmm. Um, having a plan of attack, and you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you've heard of like the speed reserve. Well, like I, I always thought about it as like the focus reserve, right? So, yeah, um, the harder that you're able to focus at any one given time, at any one point in time, the easier it becomes, right? So, the higher your your ceiling becomes you know, the, the higher your floor becomes as well. You know what I mean? So you be, you're able to become very productive and very, very short amounts of time. Um, so that's the kind of way that I looked at it. Um, you know, when it was time to work, I worked. And I worked until I knew I wasn't going to be able to absorb any more material or, you know, it just it wasn't going to be practical anymore. Um, and then I, I kind of structured those periods of time around my work. And then when, when those two activities were done, you know, then I made time for friends and relaxation and, um, you know, it's just different hobbies and things along those lines, you know? Yeah, I, I think that's really important because a lot of, for some reason, a lot of college kids uh, work under the stigma of, you know, if you're not pulling all-nighters, then you're not really studying, Right. And I would have friends all the time that, you know, wouldn't go to bed or would stay up till 3 or 4 a.m. And I would ask them, you know, are you actually retaining any of this information that you're studying for anatomy or physics? Or are you just, you know, trying to stay awake and looking at material, thinking you're studying, but actually, you know, you you might be falling asleep or something at your desk. And yeah, yeah, one of the things I always made sure I did was just I I had like a time slot in my brain where I knew I just needed to grind everything out and then I knew I could at least go to bed at maybe like 10 or 11 before a test day the next day or something like that but um, it just sounds like you just need to create your own habits honestly just those small habits oh yeah 100% like you know like it it took me like I kind of alluded to like it it took me a while to to be able to develop those like it took me a long time and it wasn't easy either i think that that's the other really important distinction of this that you know it's with change comes like great struggle like it it really does it's not going to be easy to develop new habits it's not going to be easy to kind of put in the work and change your mindset um but it does become easier and it becomes rewarding you know because you're able to get a massive amount of material, you know, applied, like, memor- not memorized, but learned, like, actually, truly learned um, in a shorter amount of time than your peers. Yeah. And, you know, the idea is that you'd be able to then take that information and practically apply it, you know. Mm-hmm. I think there's a massive difference between some of the study habits that I saw when I was at Marywood and 
between myself and my, my peers because I was always focused on like the, more the practical application. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point in time, I had internships where I could, you know, actually apply the information. I, I was doing personal training at that point in time. I had, you know, gotten a certification. So um, I was more focused on the practical application of things, which I definitely think helped me um, remember material, uh, remember concepts and theories and, and things along those lines uh, to then take later that day and, and then apply them. Yeah, it's, it's definitely important because, and I was even going to transition into your employment with personal training, so I'm glad you brought that up. But I know a lot of times today, I've had friends in the past that would come up to me and be like, oh, CJ, I got this you know, personal training certification in two weeks. And the certifications that I have, you know, it was a seven-week-long course. We met for one day a week for three hours at a local gym. We would go over all the practical stuff, where which that's where I've learned the most because I'm more of a visual person, um, and I just enjoyed taking the concepts from the book and actually seeing them because I think that's what a lot of people in college classes, at least, kind of miss because in class we're so worried about getting as much material in in that hour or hour and 15 minutes you may be in class to where you can't really apply it you just kind of learn it from the book so when it came to certifications and me starting to personal train I think it was like my sophomore year of college um, I wanted to make sure that I was paying the money to actually learn the practical side instead of just taking a two-week course online or something so um, I know a lot of people are doing that now, but I, I believe I have it written down here. You were certified by the ACSM, correct? Was, yeah. or you, you yeah. were previously certified, right? Yeah. Yeah. I had kind of, no, that's fine. This is a good thing or a bad thing or whatever the case may be. But, uh, yeah, I, I kind of let some of the, the, my first certifications expire as I, uh, moved on. So, when I sat for the CSCS and I had that, um, I decided to just kind of let the ACSM um, expire. So, Well, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I feel like, I mean, for someone who's currently trying to obtain their CSCS, it feels like the more I learn from the book and the more questions I go through and stuff like that and the more I prepare, the more I feel like the CSCS trumps any personal training certification. And I'm not saying that in a negative way whatsoever. I think it's just the depth of the material that you're going into and stuff like that. I don't know if you agree on that. No, I do. For sure I do, right? So I think that the CSCS is something that, um, you know, only the most interested people take. You know, so again, there's a different quality. There's a different, not quality, but there's a different type of person that sits for the CSCS and has a CSCS compared to the type of person that just has the CPT uh, through some, you know, certifying body, and that's all they want to do. And you know, there's nothing wrong with that. No. You know, that's not what I'm what I'm alluding to. But um, I do think that there is, you know, differences there for sure. Yeah, and it's. I feel like. I mean, like you said, if you want to be a personal trainer, you know, be a personal trainer. That's completely fine. And the way I feel about it was if I obtain my CSCS, you, you kind of have that golden ticket to put on your resume and those letters to put after your name. But I feel like with the CSCS, you could also back up and do personal training just as well with that. Um, with, you could. Yeah, yeah, you definitely could. Yeah. I, I think that, you know what a, the distinction might be is that if you want a CSCS, like you're, you're probably 
looking to work in sports or work with athletes of some in some way, shape, or form. But if you're doing a CPT, you're you're probably just looking to work with general population, you know, yeah. because the CSCS is it's it's not an easy test and it can be expensive, right? So um, it might not be worth the investment for somebody that doesn't necessarily need it, you know. Exactly, and it's just like you said. It just depends on the the type of demographics you want to work with. Um, did you start studying for the CSCS while you were in school, or was that something you waited for? No, I started studying my um, junior year. Okay. Um, so you, you can sit for your junior year, but then you're not awarded the the certification until you graduate, so until you earn your bachelor's. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that so that's what I did. Um, I I had the I still have the original essentials book over there on my bookshelf. That is one of the one of two books on my bookshelf that I read it so many times <laughs> that I needed to I needed to duct tape the spine of the book. I I'm um, I'm sitting I, here staring at it right now on my desk too. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's. I, I mean, I must have read that thing three or four times throughout the my junior year. Oh. Um, so yeah, it, yeah, that's the struggle. Yeah, it's it's definitely a lengthy book, and that's the advice I got too. While you know, while I'm studying here, is uh, once you finish the book, just go back to page one and start over again, because <laughs> there's there's definitely something you might have missed or misunderstood. So yeah, yeah, I mean, we all have our, our different yeah. uh, different study habits, you know. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, but after, so you worked, you worked as a personal trainer for two years. After that, uh, was strength and conditioning something that you've always wanted to do, or did you kind of find that out while you were being a personal trainer and thought, oh, maybe I should pursue this instead? Um, no, honestly, when I when I enrolled in community college and I found that I that I excelled. Um, and that it was fun, it was easy. I was like, okay, well, where can I take this? Like, what is kind of like the pinnacle of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, being, uh, you know, I was a former athlete myself, like not any high level whatsoever, but I, I took athletics very, very seriously. Um, I always wanted to be involved in it. So once I kind of, like I said, I excelled and, in school, I decided, you know, I, I'm just going to take it as far as I can. So I kind of set my sights on it yeah. from that point forward. So when I when I took a CPT, it was only a means. It was only a means of gaining experience. It was only a means of trying to be able to develop more, uh, you know, people skills and coaching skills and developing the you know, like interpersonal, you know requirements you know mm-hmm. for coaching yeah yeah no that that definitely makes sense um i just didn't know because did you did you work any strength and conditioning jobs after personal training before you got hired by the penguins or was that just like that one big jump to no, the, to the I, pen? I, yeah no i didn't um i i didn't have any other real strength and conditioning jobs i mean at the time, like when I was in, when I was at Marywood finishing my bachelor's, I was doing some quote unquote strength and conditioning, mm-hmm. um, but it was with, you know, like adolescents and, and high school athletes and, um, 
you know, things along those lines. Like first year college, you know, they come back for the summer and uh, they want to train. So I, I worked at a gym uh, in Scranton um, based on a, out of uh, Riverfront Sports. Yeah. It's a it's a sports complex in, uh, in Scranton. But um, so I did that a little bit. Um, but yeah, as soon as I graduated, um, the, the guy that I was interning under with the Pens um, left to go to the Vegas Golden Lights. Oh, wow. So when he moved up, I interviewed and, and I got hired, you know, two months, not even, I guess I graduated in May. I was hired in June. So, wow. um, yeah, I, I just right out of school. So yeah, I was very, very fortunate. Yeah. I saw that on your bio and I'm like, all right, was he missing, you know, some job experience or did he really go from personal training right to, uh, a head strength coach of a, of an NHL affiliate team? And that's, I, w- I was just shocked. I was like, well, I definitely have to ask him about that because I feel like that's rare and it is fortunate. So Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure. Like, to be quite honest with you, like, there's not a ton of rapport um, between AHL strength coaches for whatever reason. I, I don't exactly know why. Um, I know a few and I, I talked to a few. Um they have different backgrounds than I did. They they had more of an extensive background in strength and conditioning than I did coming in. Um, but I, I don't know if that's something that's universal throughout um, or whatever the case may be. But, um, yeah, I was very fortunate that I had interned with the team during my senior year in college. Uh-huh. Um, so I knew individuals within the organization. Um, I had a good rapport with some of the players, especially some of the veteran players. Um, so, you know, it was, it was definitely, um, you know, a godsend and it was, uh, as, as hard as that internship was my senior year, um, it, it paid off for sure. Yeah. And I definitely want you, if you're okay with it to explain, you know, yeah. what you kind of did as an intern, but I feel like you kind of, and I don't want to listen, I'm not taking away from your work ethic or anything, but I feel like that's just one of those. Uh, kind of what, like you said, a godsend, right place at the right time kind of opportunity. And, oh, for sure. Yeah, and it's just, it's just you were just in a really good spot at the right time, and um, you kind of built that repertoire under that internship. And uh, what kind of stuff did you do as an intern there that, that in your eyes, kind of boosted your chances of getting that interview and getting that job afterwards? Um, I mean, I think that... I think, um, you know, I had went to the internship, you know, almost every day. Um, you know, the requirement for the intern um, was like 20 hours a week. I might have been there even like 40 hours. Wow. I mean, I just couldn't get enough of it. Yeah. Um, so I, w- I would set up the lift every day. I'd um, clean up the gym every day. I'd um, help set up the, the heart rate monitoring system. I'd you know, st- try to stick around after and ask questions. And um, the guy I was under is uh, Doug Davidson, so I would try to pick Doug's brain. And, um, you know, I, I just tried to show as much initiative as I possibly could. And then, you know, towards the middle of the season, you know, I got to kind of have a little bit of, there was a little bit more discussion with regards to the team lifts and, you know, what I would do and why I would do it. You know that that particular way, whether it's exercise selection or volume or intensity or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, 
so I got to have a little bit more say and um, and towards the end of the season um, there's, a, there's a period of black acing they call it so black aces come up and they, they come up from our east coast team and the, the wheeling nailers and it was probably maybe you know six or seven guys you know not very many guys but they would come up and they would, they would just you know practice and play just you know in, a, in an emergency situation, we need a scrimmage player. We need um, we need a seventh defender, like a seventh defenseman, or you know things along those yeah. lines. Just extra bodies around. Right? Yeah, just filling. Um, and exactly. So, and we do the same thing when if if we're not in the playoffs, we, we would go up to Pittsburgh and do the same thing. But I was granted the opportunity to you know just for, I have full responsibility for the Black Aces. Um, you know, I, I do their workouts. As an intern, um, you had full responsibility. As, as an okay. As an intern, yeah. Okay. Like I just, I had Doug just let me do my thing. Um, I programmed. I, I did all that, and even though it didn't last very long, it was a really, really valuable learning experience. And um, you know, I, I think that as an intern, it it really should be about like going in and putting yourselves in the shoes of the head. And, and trying to understand why they do the things that they do, how you would do things differently, why you would do things differently. So I think that that's the, the way that I approached it. And if I had approached it any other way, I don't think that this would have worked out Yeah. Um, the way that it had. Because, I mean, even in my first year, I mean, you're thrown to the wolves. Like, you're by yourself. You know what I mean? You're the guy that's making the decisions. Yeah. Um, you're making decisions. You got to stand by them. Um, you know, from a strength and conditioning standpoint, from the sports science standpoint, from the nutrition standpoint, everything. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's just a, in a, a day-to-day approach. And uh, yeah, no, that's fine. And just a side note before I move on to the next question: How did you guys deal with nutrition for those hockey players? Did you guys? Um, you know, just ask them what they ate, or did you talk to nutritionists that may have been part of the organization? How did you guys do that? Well, uh, we're really, really lucky. Um, both Pittsburgh has an amazing um, strength and conditioning and uh, sports performance staff um, that, that kind of set the example. And... Um, you know, we follow that example on Wilkes-Barre, and, and we're really, really fortunate, like, incredibly fortunate. Um, like, guys don't even know how good they have it, I don't <laughs> think. But we have, a, we have a chef. So we we have a chef that comes in, and he, he serves breakfast and lunch every day. Oh, wow. Um, so I, I think the best term is probably just, you know, operating, because scope of practice is something to kind of consider as well so I, I think that an evident like designing and working with the, the chef to, to implement a, an evidence informed menu um, based on athlete needs is the kind of the approach that we have taken and we still do take um, yeah. to kind of make sure that our, all of our guys nutritional needs are met um, and supplementation needs are met as well. So that's good. Um, has hockey always been like a, a passion of yours, or like an interest of yours, or you know, was it just kind of an open internship opportunity at the time that kind of just grew on you? 
it was an open internship, and um, what a faculty member who I had in previous classes, he they, like he wasn't my advisor, and I he wasn't one of my current professors. Actually, received the intern application uh, from somebody. I, I I don't know who, but and he approached me about it. He's like, hey, you know, I think you. I know you're interested in the strength and conditioning. I really think this would be a good opportunity. You should apply. So I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, I guess so. <laughs> like, I'll just, I'll do it, whatever, you know? Yeah. So I, but I did and went through the interview process and um, I got the internship and just kind of fell into it. Um, growing up, I had played basketball and I was really, really passionate about that. Mm-hmm. Um, hockey came to the area in 1999 and I was like 11 at the time okay you know, so it, it wasn't a part of my youth and you know there was like one hockey rink in the area and you know there weren't any really there, there weren't any real youth programs there so it's not a sport that I ended up growing up playing yeah um, so it was something that I had fallen into and and then once I was in it I, I, I really I really kind of fell in love with it. Like it's it's something that I I'm very passionate about today. Um, it, it really did grow on me um, for a couple of reasons. I think it's I think it's an amazing game. I think it's a beautiful game. Um, but the people also I, I think are really really special. Um, I think, and I mean, granted, this is one organization that I'm talking about. Not you know I, I don't know what this is like in other organizations, but. Um, the, I think the people that we have in, in the Penguins organization are, are some of the best around. Um, so, I, yeah, I just, I just fell in love with them. I feel like that's what you always hear. You, like, even if you're just watching TV when uh, they'll interview athletes from out of town or celebrities or, you know, just anyone on TV or radios or other podcasts, people always talk about, the Pittsburgh people and the hockey organizations is just all around great, whether it's the type of people, the type of mentality and stuff like that. So um, that's really nice that you're part of that organization as a whole, like Wilkes-Barre and the Pittsburgh Penguins, um, how everyone kind of has that great mentality and great mindset and just all around good people in the area. So, Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, my, the year that I interned, um, they won the cup that year and like you had Carter Rowney uh, yeah. that played in Wilkes-Barre and eventually was in Pittsburgh. You had Jake Gensel that was in Wilkes-Barre at the time. Uh, Brian Russ was there the year before. Um, so you had all these guys that had played games in, in Wilkes-Barre and then either that same year, or, you know, soon after their departure, they, they won a Stanley cup. So I think from top to bottom, that's kind of the message like, Hey, everybody's needed. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really unique. Yeah, really unique. Fun to be around. That's pretty awesome. And you know, kind of building off that, can you explain to like anyone who's listening who doesn't really understand who the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins are and how the system works? Uh, can you explain you know what the organization is, how they relate to the Pittsburgh Penguins, how you guys kind of work together between sending guys up or sending guys down? Do you know any of that stuff, or just give like a brief explanation? Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, so, you know, we're, we're essentially, you know, kind of like the, think of it as almost like the development program 
uh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins. So um, there's guys here uh, in Wolfsburg that are playing and developing and, you know, getting used to the program or even the American culture and um, with the hopes of, you know, one day, you know, going up and contributing to, to the big club. So at any one given time, you know, we have guys that'll get, you know, called up and then they're on the NHL roster, um, you know, potentially playing games or, you know, they might get sent back down to us, you know, hey, they got to play, they got to learn more, whatever the case may be. So um, it's kind of the, the very, very general um, kind of explanation of how things work. Yeah. Probably, probably too general, but... Well, and, I mean, we, we don't have to go way too in-depth, but I know some people, um, when I told them about this, they're like, well, what's the affiliation? Because when we watch Penn's games, right, uh, and we see the young guys that will have, like, their first game in the NHL, we always see that little blip on the screen of, uh, he played at Wilkes-Barre Scranton for two years, maybe, and everyone's like, oh, cool, but they don't really know what it is or what the tie-in is. So, I, you know what I mean? Like, I just wanted that brief explanation of how you guys play a role in that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so. Um, while you, I'll be honest with you, I mean, not just me, but people listening, uh, I have to ask you, have you gotten to work with any current Penguins or some of the big names in the past besides Gensel and Carter Rowney that you previously stated? Uh, yeah, um, let's see, so... Um, Zach Aston Reese okay. um, was with me in Wilkes-Barre. Uh, Tristan Jari I had when I was an intern. I had um, my first year, my second year, and then uh, this year I didn't have him at all, um, as everybody would knows. But um, yeah, I've had Tristan. Um, who else did I have? Uh, Zach Trotman goes up. Um, so Zach Trotman, I know, has played some games up there. Um, Adam Johnson has played some games. Very nice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's quite a bit. I mean, I, my first year, um, Tom Kostopoulos was the captain of the team in Wilkes-Barre. And, I mean, he's played on – I mean, he's played in Pittsburgh. He's played in Calgary. He's played in New Jersey. He, he's played in a lot of different places. So Yeah, I just um, – I honestly just wanted to ask because that was just the fan in me kind of <laughs> yeah, asking. yeah. Um, but have you, so when you work with those guys and you have such a deep connection with the Pittsburgh Penguins themselves, you yourself, have you ever gotten to like, um, go behind the scenes at Penn's games or, you know, go up for a little bit and maybe work with the Penguins or kind of collab with their sports performance staff or do you usually just stay in Wilkes-Barre? Um, I mean, for the mo- I, during the season I'm in Wilkes-Barre, um, I'm, all hands on deck, um, you know, because it's, it's, I guess, my show down in, down in Wilkesbury from mm-hmm. the strength and conditioning side of things. And, yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm in Pittsburgh for training camp, um, for development camp, and um, I'm up there black acing, you know, at the end of the year, the last two years. Um, so I, I do get some time. Uh, to spend in, in Pittsburgh to kind of look behind the scenes a, a bit, so to speak, I guess. Um, but in, tar- in terms of like collaboration um, and kind of like rapport with the Penguin staff, you know, because of, I mean, I don't know if this season is over yet, but if it is, you know, this is my third season. Yeah. Um, so as a really young coach, 
um, the Pittsburgh staff, Andy O'Brien, um, Alex Trinka, uh, Curtis Bell, uh, Lexi Pianosi have been really big, uh, you know, like really, really big for me, um, you know, from a, from an education standpoint and from a, like a, almost like a role model standpoint, um, the way that they do things and, um, the way that they think are, are, are just top notch. So they're people to kind of look towards and emulate, you mm-hmm. know, so yeah. it is something that I, I get to do and get to, uh, you know, talk with them a little bit on, on how they do things and why they do things. And, yeah. Um, you know, they're able to support me in that role for sure. Well, out of your two, well, hopefully, let's just say two and a half seasons right now, because hopefully the NHL starts up again at some point. But yeah. if it doesn't, out of these three seasons, let's say, has there, like, what's your, what has been your favorite part of the job? Or has, is there a specific story or did something happen that has just always been in your brain, like a great, uh, you know, I don't know how to explain it, like a, a great story you have or anything like that? Um, you know, I think my first year, um, I mean, just the entire thing as a whole, to be honest with you, it was, it was really, it was surreal, you know, because I, I didn't anticipate it. Uh, You know, it was something that was very kind of out of the blue. Um, I actually was kind of, I I was dead set on, on graduate school. Um, I was going, I was looking for apartments when uh, I was going to go to uh, Cardiff Metropolitan in Wales and just kind of, you know, go immerse myself in a different culture. So when this came up, it was kind of like this whirlwind because the next thing you know, I'm in Pittsburgh and, you know, um, Kunakle's there and then Crosby comes in and then you've got uh, Derek Pouliot was there and some of these guys that, you know, Played in any like NHL games and have rings and you know Crosby is probably one of the best players of our generation, right? So it was really surreal to, to just be there and to, to kind of experience it. It was it was wild. I'm sure it was, and I mean that's and that's why I wanted to ask earlier about like if you did anything behind the scenes with the Pens because uh, I feel like with that connection and stuff, I just never I just never knew if you know you maybe got a chance to meet them or hang out with them or put them through a workout, anything like that. That's the only reason why I wanted to ask. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. I mean, yeah, to, I mean, to an extent, right? Like, when, when I go up in Black Ace, um, especially, I mean, that's a playoff scenario. So you, you're, you're probably better off seeing and not hurt. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to an extent. To yeah. an extent. I'm, I'm just kind of joking around a little bit. But, um, yeah, I mean, you go up and you, and you help, but... You know, um, it's it's definitely something that's um, you know there's there's one goal in mind, and and that is to not be be a distraction and only be of service, right? So yep, um, yeah, that's kind of the story of that. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I mean, we we covered your education and employment pretty much. I want to talk about strength and conditioning. Maybe talk a little shop or something before we end the podcast here. Um, I'm honestly just going to water it down to the very basic, you know, when, when you get a new guy that comes into the organization, uh, what are your beginning protocols as a head strength coach when you're approached with these new players or a guy that may be sent down um, from the Penguins? Yeah, I mean, it will, if, if it's somebody being sent down, generally it will always begin with a, um, with a conversation. 
uh, with the guys up in Pittsburgh, um, kind of like, hey, what they're seeing, uh, where that individual is at, um, how they're moving, why they're moving that way, that kind of thing. So it, it's always about creating a little bit of context, um, especially at such a high level. You know, individualization is just a massive component of almost everything that we do. So um, understanding the context behind everything is, is really, really critical. Um, so that's that's kind of the way it'll start if somebody gets, gets sent down. Um, with that being said, too, and I think it also depends on where that player is coming from. You know, if it's if it's a player that we've acquired through a trade or a, a brand new face, obviously that comes with a little bit more. Um, you know, there might be a movement screen involved, some manual table testing. Um, maybe it's going to take me a couple of times to run them through a workout to kind of get a feel for you know what kind of athlete that is, um, what makes them tick how they move, why they move that way, um, are there any restrictions, morphological changes, anything along those lines. Um, so, yeah, it, it depends on where we start. Um, it depends on the relationship. If it's a player that's been in the organization, generally I have a familiarity with that individual, um, whether it's through training camp, um, development camp, um, previous seasons. Um, so generally if there's, there's a less to screen, um, it's not that we don't screen at all. That's not the case. We still do that. Um, but there, it might be a little bit of a different starting point uh, because there there is that context uh, behind that athlete. Um, if it's a young player, I think that, that that's where the conversation becomes a little bit different. It becomes interesting um, because you start to kind of touch on some fundamentals, some lifestyle factors. Um, so a lot of those not only will involve a movement screen and and uh, some of those physical tests and stuff, stuff like that. But um, it'll involve more conversations as well. Yeah, and I've, I yeah. feel like with most of the things anyway, it would come from conversations. Like I know, I just wanted to know if you guys kind of do like an FMS kind of screening uh, when those guys come in with movement and stuff like that and then have conversations or if you if you base a lot of context with workouts or what you have them do um, – that are all based off just conversations, not actual data. Yeah. No, I mean, generally what I'll do is I'll have them run through, you know, maybe a few workouts before. Start to develop, you know, a little bit of a rapport, have a couple of initial conversations. Um, and then we don't necessarily do the FMS, but some different iterations of, of uh, you know, passive and active range of motion mm-hmm. um, kind of assessment. Uh, but generally, like, I don't know, maybe this is just me, but like I, the way that I kind of think about it is like, I want to actually kind of like have some conversation, let them get used to the environment kind of thing before I start treating them like a, like a test subject and, you know, all right, put your hands behind your head and squat and yeah. stand on the board, and, you know, so. We actually, yeah, they got to believe you first. first. Yeah, they got to they got to believe and trust you and kind of find out some information about you too. You got to make it personable. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah and that's 100%. And I'll be honest with you and look, I've never worked at that level that you're at, but I feel like a lot of stuff boils down to my level too with working with a lot of high school and college guys where um, they come in thinking, you know, you're going to treat them like that test subject right from the get-go, right? And I feel like half the battle for me every single summer when I work with my high school guys 
is just getting information out of them. You know, how they're feeling, how their grades were, um, stuff like that. What they've been eating, what they like to do, what they don't like to do. And just kind of keeping up with those conversations through that period of time of training. Because um, I, I just seriously think some athletes just get turned off by the fact of thinking a coach will just treat them like a test subject and funnel them through without actually getting to know them as a person first. So I just think that's really yeah. important. Yeah, 100%, right? Like, if you don't have those initial conversations, too, um, or in basic, you know, observations, like, I almost feel like, you know, you're missing the forest for the trees, so to speak, you know? I mean, you can pick up on a lot of body language stuff. Like, maybe this person is, like, very... Um, you know, very type A, very driven, but very stressed, you know, well, right there, I mean, if you get them to calm down a little bit, all of a sudden their range of motion might improve, you know, so I I think that, I think that you kind of got to, again, like context, everything's got to have context, so put some context behind the personality first, and, you know, get to know them first, and then, then, you know, go from there. Yeah, and I mean, the other thing I wanted to ask you was from, your certifications and you kind of doing your own thing and learning how to program on your own, then interning and taking jobs. Uh, what has your methodology kind of been molded into as a head strength coach now and how you kind of approach? And I know it can be individualized for some players depending on, uh, you know, injuries or uh, experience levels, anything like that. But do you kind of follow a certain methodology model that you use? Uh, depending on the the part of the season that you're in, whether it's off season, in season, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I think each 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 like section of the calendar comes with different uh, programming considerations. Um, I mean, generally, you know, I, I think a philosophy is meant to be very dynamic and very fluid you know so I try not to be super rigid and and super attached to any one methodology because one of the things that's very very fascinating at least to me with strength and conditioning is that you know you might have a certain you know mental model or program that you used with one athlete and you're like, oh, well, I'll just, you know, go ahead and, you know, use some of these same principles and theories and ideas for, you know, athlete B over here. And then it doesn't work out at all. Yeah. You know, so then yeah. you're kind of left scratching your head. You're like, okay, well, what's going on here, right? So I, I think it's really important that you kind of, you have a why behind everything that you're doing and you have that context. And I, that's, I'm probably overusing that word at this point, context, but... Uh, you know, I think that, you know, certain methodologies and certain programming strategies are going to work well for one athlete. And then you have to start the process over again and, and reevaluate and start back with, you know, a blank slate for that next athlete. Um, and, you know, through that process, it gets easier and, um, you know, things become a, a little bit clearer. They're never going to be you know, crystal clear for you. I don't think they are, at least, you know, but... Yeah. Um, well, it makes it fun, too. The, yeah, yeah, it makes it fun, and, you know, that constantly evolving mental model and constantly evolving philosophy, um, you know, make things, you know, a little bit easier. Yeah. 
Uh, I'll be honest with you, Mike, that's really all I had today. Uh, the last question I definitely want to ask you, though, before we get off here is um, if you could go back and just give your college self or maybe even your high school self uh, some sort of advice about getting into all of this, or, I mean, it could be any profession, but really the fitness industry or sports performance or strength and conditioning, what advice would you give your high school or college self today? Um, I, I mean, my high school self, for sure, I, I would I would for sure go the community college route, I would say, and, and um, you know, go the exercise science route, too, you know, because it worked out pretty well. Um, it, it's an absolute blast, so, you know, but it's not possible, unfortunately, so, I mean... Yeah. I, I mean, ultimately, if, if it was, if it was like a long hey, guiding decisions, yeah, that's probably what I would say. Hey, go to community college, go the exercise science route. This is probably where you're going to be happiest doing. Um, so, yeah. Awesome, awesome. That's great advice. Uh, only because I do have a lot of high school and college listeners that are uh, interested in this kind of stuff. So I, I wanted them to hear some sort of advice from someone who is in the shoes they want to be in someday. So, uh, thank you, Mike, so much for being on today. We, we have about almost 50 minutes here of, uh, some good information. So I'm going to end on that, uh, only because I don't have any more questions for you (laughs) and I don't want to make this way too lengthy. So thank you for being on the podcast today. I really enjoyed, uh, your time and thank you for giving your time to me. And hopefully we can chat or talk soon on the podcast again. Yeah, yeah, thank you for having me, CJ. This was great. A lot of fun. Thank you. All right, thank you. We'll see you later, Mike. Thanks.